Hello, my name is Robbie Ventura, and I am your host here at the Velocity Cycling Podcast, where our one goal is to get you to fast faster. There is no one way to have great cycling performance. What works for some of us may not work for others. We really want to expose you to some of the greatest minds in sports performance, and hopefully we can try to figure out what works best for you to meet your goals and to meet your genetic potential. We're going to do one job and we're going to try to do it the best we can, and that is get you to fast faster. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. I am your host, Robbie Ventura, and I am fired up about our next guest, Mari Holden, one of the most decorated American cyclists of all time, and maybe one of the most decorated cyclists there is, really. She's just got inducted to the Hall of Fame, and she is absolutely spectacular, not only because what she's accomplished on her bicycle, and we'll get into all of that, but really what she's doing off of her bicycle or not being a professional cyclist and what she's currently doing right now, which is really um, making um, the sport of women's cycling, women's endurance athletics um, significantly higher. And that to me is, is really special. Um, I love watching women's sports. I love watching women's cycling. That's probably one of my favorite things to do is watch women's cycling because it is, the level is so high. It's so exciting. It's very unpredictable. And a lot of the reason why women's had so much success riding their bicycle, it's people like Mari Holden who, uh, who grew up in a sport that wasn't um, that easy to be at a high level if you were a female. So we're going to get into that. But thank you, Mari, so much for not only coming here and recording eight incredible classes here for <laughs> Velocity, but also um, just, just you spending a couple of days with us. It's really been a treat and we appreciate having you. Oh, Robbie, I'm so excited to be out here. Um, this is You're right. It's been a lot. <laughs> eight workouts in two days. That's a lot for me these days. <laughs> for sure. And but, the fact you can still do this. I mean, I mean, you don't look obviously... You, you're 50 years old. If anybody sees you, there's no way they're saying you're even over the age of 35. So you're doing an <laughs> unbelievable job, staying in incredible shape. And the fact that you can do eight one hour rides over the course of two days and not easy rides. These are hard rides. These are great interval workouts that you've created here for Velocity. I am so impressed that you can keep your energy so high and do such a great job of entertaining, but also educating all the Velocity athletes. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Robbie. You know, it's funny because I'm not easily intimidated. When I heard eight workouts in two days, you know, at first I was like, oh, but then I was like, of course, I can do it. <laughs> I, mean, I know I can get medalist. there. <laughs> when you win the world championships and you're a silver medalist in the Olympics and you've won six or seven national titles across a bunch of disciplines, doing eight hours over two days, although it's hard, it's definitely not one of the hardest things you've ever done. That is for sure. <laughs> True. <laughs> you're the uh, women's one of the hardest things I've done recently. <laughs> compare honestly, compare this. Just kind of going off 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 the cuff here. Compare this to the women's Tour de France that you did. Talk to us about that stage race. I know I'm just pulling something out of midair here, but yeah. since we're talking about eight workouts in a row, talk mm -hmm. about the women's Tour de France. What that consisted of, and where you were at in your career when you had to do that. Well. Um, Honestly, I don't really think there's any comparison because as you know, when you're doing a stage race, it's just day after day. First time I did, it was in 93. And actually, Robbie, it was my first year racing bikes. <laughs> oh my God. So I actually, I, cause I came from triathlon and that's back in the day when, uh, USA cycling had a big talent ID kind of program. And I got into that and then 
um, ended up going to the tour that first year. Um, it was like actually my third stage race that I did. So yeah, I jump in on the deep end on a lot of things. <laughs> and, uh, that was something cause back then it was 12 days. Um, we did lose already Den. we did, you know, Alp Duez, we did all these amazing epic climbs and, you know, it was every day was a pretty much a nightmare for me <laughs> because, you know, I would see like 20 K to go and just be like, Oh my God, like I'm going to die. <laughs> but you no, know, somehow I survived. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, like it's your first year doing real road racing. You're doing a stage race. That's, that's arguably one of the hardest stage races any woman could ever do. Any man could ever do for that matter. And you put your, you took that risk. You stepped outside of your comfort zone. You had enough confidence and belief in yourself and the people around you to take on that challenge and that, that, that very difficult, you know, multi-day stage race. Like what is inside you that allows you to do that? I know a lot of people that a lot of our listeners, you know, want to take those risks. They just have, they have a challenge believing they can do it. Like what gives you that natural belief that you can go out there and do a Tour de France stage race with the greatest women in the world after just becoming a pro cyclist for the first year? Yeah. I mean, I look back on it now and think it was a little bit nuts, you know, but, um, but at the time I thought it was going to be a, an amazing opportunity. Uh, the national team coach had offered it to me. Um, we weren't the A team. We were the B team. Like we, you know, um, but we went over there and it was just every day was a struggle to just kind of survive. And I think it was actually a good thing that I didn't know how bad it was going to be. <laughs> I guess sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? I mean, I was so new to the sport that I didn't know that I should be really scared. <laughs> and I just, I just went for it. And every day, I mean, once I got there and realized I was in really deep, um, I just knew I didn't want to quit. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's something that, got me through a lot of things in cycling because every day, you know, I'd be fighting to get back through the caravan or fighting to be in the group and, you know, fighting those last 20 kilometers when the speed got so high and my skill level wasn't good enough to be like, you know, riding in good position, always kind of trying to move up the wrong ways and, you know, just trying it out. But honestly, I believe that's how you get better is by learning under stress. Like, it's very hard to learn big lessons if the stress isn't high enough. Like if you're not forced to do it, you're not going to do it. If it's easier to move up the outside and there's no reason why you can't do it, then you don't really force yourself to learn how to move through the field. But if you're really struggling and you know, you need to save every bit of energy you can, and you're trying to get back in there and not get dropped and fight back on again, you start figuring out ways quickly how am I going to try and save energy? It's like a matter of survival. <laughs> so. you know, what's exciting about all of our guests and, and you being a world-class athlete, I mean, an Olymp a silver medalist in the Olympics to talk about a struggle, right? To really, really have to take every opportunity to save energy. I think what's interesting about that to me is it doesn't matter how good, how talented, how successful somebody is, everybody at the highest level has to go through that. They have to realize that there is no easy way to get really good at something. And we're all at different levels, right? Some people are trying to get to the Olympics. Some people are trying to finish an Ironman. Some people are trying to finish their first century. You all, you have to learn that process of struggling because it's when you're up against it and you're really challenged and you want to quit, the things that you learn in that, in that, in those moments 
can't be replicated. You can't be taught in a book. You can't like have someone convince you that you're good enough. You actually have to be up against it and on the verge of quitting and persevering and seeing what that's like and learning about how much more you have inside of you and that you sometimes have to take shortcuts. Every little bit counts. Like, I think that is something that you're going to find in all champions like yourself. And I think that's an important lesson that everybody has to go through is there is no easy way. You have to be in situations like that at some point in your career if you want to do something special. Well, and I mean, I think you probably have seen it a lot too, where there are people who have an amazing amount of talent and who it seems like things are coming really easily for them. But some of these people don't last in the sport because when the big when the big challenge comes, they don't handle it correctly. So I think a lot of times you get to the people who make it to the, you know, winning worlds or winning Olympic medals and stuff. And those are people who, yes, have a lot of talent, but actually like rise to the occasion when things go wrong, because we know they're going to go wrong. (laughs) And it's just a matter of time to when it does, but it's like, how do you deal with, deal with it when things aren't fair, when things aren't right? You know, I mean, you know, life isn't fair. Things go wrong, you know, whether it's a mechanical, whether it's somebody cheating, whether it's whatever. I mean, like you have to be able to get back in that mindset of, you know what, that I'm pushing that away and I'm just going to like get back out there and do it again. And, you know, it's that process of constantly trying to improve yourself and constantly like picking yourself back up again. And eventually those like, those things are are what's going to put you in a position where you can win. And it's kind of that longevity and that, um, you know, that experience and perseverance, as you said. That, I mean, I, I, you, you couldn't be more true with, with saying that. When I think about when I was a youngster and the best players on my team, when I was a junior, the best bicycle racers, the best soccer players, the best hockey players, the ones that were so much better because they were more talented than everybody else. If you have too much of that success and you have for too long, when you actually do run up against someone that might be as good or better, or you have a little bit of a challenge, they have a harder time getting through that than the people that might've been fourth or fifth, that weren't always the winners, that had to do more, that had to suffer a little bit more, that had to train a little bit harder, that learned to kind of deal with, you know, maybe not winning all the time and, and trying to figure out a way to win without having the talent. It seems like that group of individuals tended to have, you know, more success as things got a little tougher, as things got a little tighter from a competition perspective. And I think part of that is just that mental ability to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, mindset failure and different things. That's a great point. I, I love it. But I know we kind of got out of out, out of, of sidetrack. <laughs> For sure. It's easy to get sidetracked when you talk to a to a to a person with with so much to give, obviously, that, that you that you continue to do on so many levels. But let's talk about your early career as a triathlete. I mean, you got into the sport, you were born in the Midwest. I, I want to say you're a fellow chief, <laughs> but I know you were only here for a short period of time. You went out to California. You were a gifted triathlete. I think you were in the top seven in the world at one point mm-hmm. as a junior. Yeah. And what, what, what kind of gave you, what, what created the, the, the love of cycling? How did you find cycling and, 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 and take that to the next level? And, and well, kind of, Yeah. I mean, I had run and swam when I was younger and always enjoyed, you know, being athletic. But um, when I was about 12, uh, we had a cycling club at my school and I thought it looked like fun. So I borrowed 
one of the girls' bikes and her shoes and everything. And we did a 50 mile ride and I just fell in love with the bike. I fell in love with like that freedom and that feeling of just like my heart pumping and going fast on the Hills. I mean, much faster than running. (laughs) So, I mean, and I mean, I loved the fact that like, I could ride and then we could go get Mexican food because this was in Southern California. We would stop, get Mexican food and then finish up the ride. I'm like, this is the perfect sport for me. (laughs) I can eat, I can ride. It's like everything I love. (laughs) To see the world, right? And see the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then that kind of like, um, you know, took me into triathlons because I was nervous about bike racing. I mean, I always knew that the cycling was a strong point for me, but Um, I was just really, uh, not super confident as a teenager. And so I just wanted to kind of do what I understood. And so triathlons made sense. It was, you know, I could do it, um, didn't intimidate me. And so that's how I got going. And then, you know, I got success in that with junior athlete of the year in, in, uh, in the U S and then I started racing pro, but smaller, like, um, sprint racing and, uh, Olympic distance, but not really Olympics back then. Cause it wasn't in the Olympics at that point. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I was doing that and started to get to see the world was racing over in Japan and Australia and, and other places, um, as a junior. Um, but then we are, I actually got invited out to a triathlon camp at the Olympic Training Center because they were trying to become an Olympic sport. And while I was out there, I met with Penny Top, who was our, our national team coach at the time. And I didn't know anything about cycling, but I walked in and I told her I wanted to be on the Olympic team. I mean, and, and looking at it, I'm like, if some kid came in and told me they wanted to be on the Olympic team, I mean, but the fact that I did it and that's, that was kind of out of character for me because like, I wasn't, you know, super forward like that, but I just thought, well, I'm here, I might as well ask. Right. And so then, um, she just kind of, she didn't laugh at me <laughs> in my face. She just, she said, well, you know, we have these development camps. You should come out to a camp. Cause I mean, I was young at that point. So, um, so I went to some of the development camps and that's kind of how it all started to happen about like getting invited to be on the national team and stuff. So I went out to the camps, we tested basically back then, as you probably remember, those camps were all about like just beating each other up every day. They would bring in a lot of people. We'd ride really hard. Whoever was left <laughs> was kind of yep. like started to get invited to things. So, um, how so old that, were you at this point? I was 20. 20. Yeah. Got it. So you you kind of like had done your triathlon thing yeah. and you were like, you, you love the bike so much that you kind of, you know, for not being, a, you said you weren't a confident person to be able to go up to a coach and say, <laughs> I want to be on the Olympics team. Think about <laughs> how, how that sport helped you gain that confidence. Because before you were a triathlete, that would have been a really difficult thing to do. Well, yeah, I, you know. I guess you get a little more confident every year, but I, you know, I really didn't know what I was getting into. All I knew is that I loved the Olympics. I loved, you know, I wanted to be a bike racer. And if I was going to be a bike racer, I wanted to know how do you make it to become an Olympian, you know? And so that's when I started working with the national team and stuff. And it was, I mean, in the beginning, (laughs) they probably were laughing at me that I wanted to be on the Olympic team because I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, I kept putting myself into difficult situations like where I definitely had to rise to the occasion or, you know, or quit. So, (laughs) so I kept going and you just, 
I mean, obviously the Olympics were kind of out there that I really wanted to do it, but like I broke it down into smaller pieces that I could handle. And I think that's something, you know, that you do with a good coach. I started working with my coach in, um, 94. And basically he was my coach throughout my career. Um, and we basically, you know, always planned for big things, but, but really focused in on each of the small steps to try and to try and get there. Um, so yeah, it was, was a journey. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I know you worked with Dean Golich. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. to me, one of the, one of the still one of the greatest coaches, um, I, I, I really, really respect how he does things and, and, and what an incredible career you've had and what great guidance you've had this entire time. But think about, um, as a, as a young woman, the importance of the sport of cycling in, in your development and your confidence. You know, I think one thing that, that you overcame is, I mean, the sport of cycling is a difficult, difficult place to be. It's difficult for a man. It's difficult for a woman. I don't necessarily think when you talk about doing the Tour de France, you didn't have a giant camper to get into after the stage and a bunch of people to take care of you and wait on you hand and foot. It was it was tough being a high level female cyclist back in the day. Talk about some of those struggles. Talk about some of the the the, the challenges that you faced as you wanted to go to the Olympic Games. You know, I mean, I laugh now because uh, we always said character building, you know, but that first trip that I went on over to Europe to do the tour, um, we had all the Polish like mafias, we called them because they were, you know, working for USA Cycling and we had Yarek Beck and, you know, all the all the Polish guys. Um, And we went over there and we didn't have phones back then, you know, cell phones and stuff. So we got to the airport and none of us knew, you know, who was picking us up or when. And we sat there for like six hours in the airport waiting for someone to come and get us. And all we knew is that Yarek wore like Adidas sandals and Adidas clothing. And sure enough, like after enough hours, this guy walked up all in Adidas and we're like, must be Yarek. So, we, you know, sure enough. And then we end up like, you know, going with him and, um, you know, at breakfasts and stuff, they'd be like taking all the uh, baguettes and ham and making us our lunches. And so, I mean, it was just, you know, it's definitely on a budget. Um, and, and that was in, in the early nineties. And then when I started racing on trade teams over there in 97, my first couple of years were in Germany. And, you know, I remember one time our team had so little money that like at the Giro and at the Giro, I was doing well that year (laughs) but like um but it was uh you know they didn't want to take the money that we got from the organizers to take the highways they want they wanted to save the money so we were driving like back roads other teams there were other teams who had some money and they would get there like hours before us (laughs) but you know i mean to me it was like oh my god i have this opportunity and i'm racing my bike and it's you know, it's amazing, (laughs) but yeah, we were taking back roads and I just remember they didn't want to have the air conditioning going. So we, and it's like a hundred degrees. And so the seats would be totally like, (laughs) and then the next morning when you get in the van, it's like, Oh my God, the seats are still wet. (laughs) Not a big bus. In other words. (laughs) I mean, think. I mean, it's funny now, right? You think about it, you laugh about it and, and really you know, life is about those journeys, right? It's really no. about those stories that you just talked about. That's the stuff you're going to remember. And you probably want a stage. Maybe you got top five overall, whatever. We're in some sort of Jersey, which is great. 
But think about the things that you remember, right? It really is the character building. The And it talk about bonding. I mean, when you have a team that's struggling like that financially or just having, I mean, it's just, it kind of brings the team together. But ultimately, yeah. it's it's tough, right? I mean, like, it's it, it's just not where it should have been at that point. Robbie, it gets worse. So <laughs> I like, okay. So, you know, I'm a time trialist. I'm not normally a sprinter, but at that race, like at the Giro, for whatever reason that year, we would sign in in the morning and they would give us cash from the winnings from the day before. So you just kind of pocket it. Well, um, so I would like sprint so that I could actually get some cash. And then I would like quickly go to the nearest like store or food or anything and like, like scarf down food because our director back in that time didn't want us to like eat because we were too fat. So like, <laughs> oh so as the race goes on, cause it's like a 10 day, 12 day race or something. As the race goes on, I'm doing well because like every day after the race, I'm like, hurrying and going and eating something before the other girls finish and they were finishing further and further back because they were starving <laughs> but i mean you know it's like survival <laughs> i was like oh my god this I is cruelty sprint, it's bad but you know what it did is it made me sprint like i mean i wasn't i normally wouldn't sprint in the finishes because i was more about like the overall and i uh but in that race i was like oh i'm sprinting and i mean like it wasn't you know i'm not going to win a field sprint but, you know, if it's crazy enough coming into town and there's enough stuff going on and you can hold your position, I would could be, you know, top 10 or, you know, top five or something. But it was just like I was it was desperate, desperate for money. <laughs> I mean, when you I mean, think about that. Right. You were you were racing differently so you could eat. I mean, that, that's yeah, because the- probably we're going to get in too late and miss dinner. <laughs> Oh my word. Like, I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was this bad, but the, 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 the I guess the, the, the good thing about this story is it's not like that anymore. And no. because of people like yourself and what you're doing for women's cycling, what you've constantly done for women's cycling and bring it to the forefront at the very least. Um, it's a lot different now. Talk about the evolution. It is a lot different. Growth. And to be honest, Robbie, I mean, that was like, that was the first team I went to in Europe and, and my, I, I got on better and better teams. So, I mean, obviously like the quality got better, but those are just some funny stories, but yes, yes, now with the women's world tour and stuff, women's cycling is starting to get the, um, the traction that it needs. I, I really believe that, you know, it's, it's taken a long time and, you know, you were saying it's people like me, but honestly, like even like the Connie Carpenters and, you know, the Rebecca Twigs, the, the people who came before me, the ones that I kind of looked up to and Mary and Berglund, like all of these people that I looked up to, they were, you know, a big part of this too. It's just taken us a long time. And um, so seeing what is happening now is really exciting for me. And I, the thing that I think is really amazing. I mean, finally women are starting to get a minimum wage, um, which is a great thing. And they're also getting more benefits. And the great thing is, is it's going to allow women to stay in the sport longer. So I think that if, you know, if they can have a child and then come back, you know, and have some security, they'll be able to continue racing and stay in the sport. And we need women to stay in the sport. And that's why I feel blessed that I've like been able to to continue in the sport for so long. And, um, and now to see the opportunities for more women to do that 
is amazing. So, you know, with these women's world tour teams, now we're going to have women who retire and are able to start directing or managing or, you know, getting involved in different ways and actually like make a good living doing it. And that's an important piece. And I think that the more women we can get to have a voice in our sport, the better it's the better. It's better for our sport in general. So, you know, and and you women bring, so much to the sport. I mean, if you watch women's racing right now, because of the things you just talked about, equal prize money, um, women are incredible announcers. They, they, what they, what they continue to do in endurance sports, not just cycling triathlon across the board. I mean, look at women's soccer and what they've done. I mean, it's just, they are every bit as exciting as men are to watch bike race, if not more exciting because it's a little bit less predictable. And I just, I feel like it's, people are starting to understand it. They're on TV. They're starting to watch women's racing more. And they're realizing how much they bring to the sport, how exciting it is. And it's just, it's just, I feel like a rising tide is lifting all boats from, from the professional level all the way down. I mean, you, I just watched the the world championships and national championship cyclocross. And man, it was some of the most exciting racing I've ever seen. Watching Clara Hansinger win the national championship and then go to, on to the world championships was just for me one of the one of the most inspiring cyclists that I like to watch on a regular basis, but there's just so, so many of them. And, and I, and I just thank God that they don't have to race the sprint to the finish line to get the money from the promoter (laughs) to be able to eat their next deal. I mean, that's just, that, that's unbelievable. I can't have to be with you. Um, But how do we keep this going? Like, like what needs to be done on a regular basis? What can Velocity do? What can we do to make sure that this growth and trajectory continues to happen for women? Well, I mean, I love that that you're giving the platform and and having, um, you know, people like me come out and talk like it's great to be able to be a woman and come onto your show and be able to talk to people about women's cycling. I do think that like live streaming has a big thing to do with how come women's cycling is getting more popular because now it's easier to get the information out there. So definitely the media piece of things is really important. I love with velocity, how, um, you can build community through, through the workouts and And I think that, I think that that's something really special. Um, And it's a incredible platform for training period. Like, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed being able to do the live classes and start to really get a feel for how connected you feel to the athletes through it. And I, I really do think that that sense of community and um, communication is something that's really going to be good for women. I think women like would really enjoy this kind of, uh, working out this way together. Um, and it's just a great way to get in a really hard workout. <laughs> I'm obviously tired because <laughs> my brain. <laughs> and to be motivated. I mean, I mean, we have so many incredible female, uh, coaches. I mean, you and Heather Havlin and Marilyn and, and, mm-hmm. and Meredith Kessler and Casey Armstrong and, and Jen, I mean, there's just so many women instructors on the velocity platform that I think really can, can strike a chord with, with not only women, but guys as well. I think to me, it's that mixture of getting that, that input from guys and getting that input from women and learning all these different things because men and women are not the same physically. I mean, they're, they're just different animals, right? Stacy Sims said it best, you know, women are just not smaller men. They're, they're, they're completely different in, in their needs and the types of intervals and the types of things that you can convey and can, and, and can coach. Um, you know, I think can ultimately help guys, but it can also really help women uh, maybe find their 
find their, their next level of, of overall fitness, but also teach them those little nuances, those little things that, that only people with your experience uh, and your background can do. So we really, really appreciate it. And if you get a chance, anybody listening to this, strongly, strongly suggest taking some of Mari's classes, learning from <laughs> Mari, being motivated by Mari, um, but also learning a little bit more about her career because it has been spectacular. Um, let's just touch on that for a second. Um, the Sydney Olympics, you won the world championships and you got a silver medal in the Olympics. Talk about what that meant, what it took to get there and, and the excitement, maybe potentially the disappointment, all of it that kind of, you know, surrounds the Olympics. You know, we just had an Olympic year. We got an Olympic year coming up because of the shortened COVID season. Talk about the Olympics and, and what that meant. Well, I mean, I had been in love with the Olympics since the 84 Olympics in LA. I went to go watch the events with my parents and it was, you know, something that I always just aspired to. And I just thought the Olympics were so amazing. So, I mean, it was always, it was like a childhood dream. So obviously like winning a medal at the Olympics was huge for me. Um, and I wasn't like favored to win a medal there. Um, it was, you know, it was a difficult like thing going in. And before I got to the Olympics, I had some of the best workouts of my whole entire life. I remember like my best workout ever. I was in the lab at the Olympic training center. Um, we were doing them with some oxygen and I, uh, like I was doing four, no, was it four, four minute, I think four minute VO2 kind of efforts. And for my size, I was about 127 pounds or so. And I was doing like 375 Watts for, I mean, Ooh. I was doing like big, big numbers. And I mean, I think my lowest one came down to like 330 or something like that, but I was doing big numbers. And I remember like almost having a breakdown to the point where Dean was like, do I have to take you to the hospital? Cause I was just like, I'll never be any better than this. This is like, this is all I've got. And I, and it's not good enough. Like I always had this like fear of, of not being able to do well enough. And so I always tried to do everything as perfect as possible and always as hard as I could. And, and I just remember thinking I'll never get in. This is, this is it. This is all, this is all I can, this is all I've got. <laughs> and, and just thinking, you know what, it's so hard to go out there in front of your family and people who have no idea what you're doing, because, you know, I'd be in Europe racing, but like you were saying, you're watching these things down. Nobody knew what we were doing over there. <laughs> we were racing and doing all this stuff, but nobody had heard of the races. It wasn't, you know, in the fellow news here in the States, it wasn't in anything. So it was kind of like you're leading this existence that nobody knows about, but you're working really, really hard. And then you get this opportunity to go out there and go for your dreams. But it's kind of like, you just look at it. I mean, every way I figured it out, I thought, okay, there's a possibility I could get a bronze medal. You know, I mean, if all the stars aligned and, you know, cause I thought the first two were completely gone. Then I thought there were about three or four of us who, you know, on any given day, we could maybe switch it out. But I, so for me to get a medal and a silver was like getting a, like a win, <laughs> just overwhelming. So, so did you have the lead at one point kind of walk? I don't, I don't know all the details of, of yeah. that event and what exactly happened or what it was like, but like, just give me a little bit more background. Like, did you have the lead? Were you always in second? I mean, did, did you, did you go late? Uh, or did you go early? Yeah. 
I had the lead because I was, I think, seated seventh. So um, I came across the line and I, you know, was leading up until the final woman came in and she, so she ended up taking, but, you know, as we got closer and closer, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm going to get a bronze medal. <laughs> and then it was like, oh my God, I'm going to get a silver, you know? And, and as the names were coming across, I was just like, oh my God, those are the people that I thought, you know, they're out, they're out, they're out. <laughs> God, that's got to feel good. And did you know you had a great race? Like when you cross the line, did you look at your power and go, woo, I ripped that one? No, I didn't really, I didn't know for sure. I, it was two loops. So I knew at one point they said I was in second, but I didn't know if it was on the first lap or this, you know, I wasn't really sure. And I wasn't wearing a radio. I didn't like information. So, um, so I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I knew I had given it everything I had. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, so when I came across and I was in first, I, I guess like, when you're seated seventh and there's still six people to come in, I wasn't surprised to be in first when I came across, right. but I, as the people st kept coming in, I got more and more surprised. And, you know, then you're starting to get news from the course of, Oh my, you know, that you were up and blah, blah, blah. So I, it was a, it was pretty amazing. Wow. That's, that's terrific. And then, <laughs> and then talk about like how, what happened after that. This is the year 2000. Mm -hmm. um, you get a silver medal in the Olympics. Then what's next for you? What did you, was it, what else did you want to accomplish? What, what kind of happened after that? Like, tuck, tuck, take me through the. Well, I won worlds after that. So I went to, um, I had to fly back to the States really quickly. Um, and then I kind of had to regroup and figure out how to get back over to Europe. And I really, you know, after winning the medal in the Olympics, I really didn't want to try and come up again because it was pretty emotional, like, yeah. few months getting ready for the Olympics and then doing well. I didn't want to like go to worlds and just, you know, be tired or whatever. Um, and of course, Dean was like, you know, you don't have to make any decisions. And it was only a few weeks. He's, you, know, you don't have to decide until the day before. You could just go over there and decide you don't even want to do it. So I was like, all right, that works for me. <laughs> so basically, I got over there and, you know, I, of course, I decided to to do it. And it's very strange because you have women who were not, their country didn't make the Olympic team or they, you know, they couldn't be there. So you have this fresh group of women who are really talented, who are super highly motivated because they're, they have something to prove. And so I was a little bit nervous about a few of those women because I knew that they were really good. And, uh, but luckily it worked out for me. <laughs> Terrific. You go the cool thing for me was that it was like on a totally different course. So, I mean, the Olympics were technical and two laps and, you know, not much climbing. And then, the, um, but worlds was, you know, pretty much a more of a straight road with two climbs. So a smaller climb and then a fairly big climb with a descent to the finish. So it was, you know, it was nice to do well on two very different styles of courses, because sometimes when you're a time trialist, they can lock you into saying, Oh, she can just do this, or she can just do that. But it really, um, it really was nice for me to be able to do it with both. And validate like the silver medal, like even take yeah. you to another level of, of, of confidence. I mean, yeah. I, I think what Dean did was really smart. He said, hey, no pressure. You don't have to do it yeah. if you don't want to, because as a as a person is as meticulous as you are with your preparation and the and, and how how dedicated you were to that, 
So take that pressure off you a little bit might've mm-hmm. allowed you to just kind of, you know, relax a little bit, let yourself kind of even get stronger as you're, mm-hmm. as you're starting to kind of recover from all that big training leading up to the Olympics and, and maybe, you know, taking that pressure off, you might've, might've worked a little bit, but so talk well, about, like, you know, Robbie, that's what good coaches do. I mean, and that's why you're recognizing that, but that's, it's so important. And that those relationships I think are what's so key because you want to have people that you trust. And for me, that was the biggest thing. Like I had a great support team. And I think that's something that, you know, with your coaching business, it, it it's like, you want to have the team that's got your back. Right. And because sometimes when you can't make a decision as an athlete, or you're too tired, or you can't see straight or whatever, you need somebody that you trust to tell you the truth, I think, and like, and help you stay on the right path. Because, it's easy when things get hard to think that there's another way out, but really if you, if your team is there to support you in the right way, they're going to help guide you to make choices that are, are going to be the better decision. If you were thinking straight. <laughs> Love it. And, and I know you're coaching, coaching lots of athletes these days and, and really not only just coaching, but also kind of mentoring kind of a lot of people that want to get involved in cycling. And, and I just have a few questions about that, but before we hit that, I want to find out after those world championships, 2000 is done. Um, I think you had a little injury, right? You had a little, little iliac um, artery issue or was that beyond that? Or was that literally the next year? Like talk about how. No, I actually had started to feel my iliac artery problem in 99. Um, And so it was kind of for people who don't know about it, like your iliac artery can either thicken or it can be kinked and you, you, it, uh, it kind of makes the blood flow to your leg, not right. So if you make a hard effort, your leg basically fills in it, you can't use it. So it, if it, basically your legs like having a heart attack. And so in 99, I felt it under super high load, but I, you know, I wasn't sure what it was. And then in 2000, I felt it also. And, um, but then really in 2001, it started happening more often. And I went into the doctors and they, they said they thought it was this, but I couldn't recreate it in the, when they were, were testing it. So, and it's a big surgery. They go in and they slice your artery and then they patch it. And, you know, I mean, even though the recovery time is only a few months, it's still, you know, it's still a big surgery. And at that point I had won the medal. I had done what I wanted to do in the sport. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to go in unless I knew exactly what was going on. Um, And it's funny, I had a call with Stuart O'Grady because he had, he had the same thing happen too. And um, so anyways, I finally decided to get it taken care of in 2004 because I realized that I couldn't even, I couldn't even accelerate. Like if, if I was in a race and we were going up, like we hit a steep climb and I would go, I I just couldn't go. And then I just have to wait. But if it was one of those things where if you ease into the effort and you're not like doing it all at once, then I could ride. But once I went over, I couldn't like recover from it. And I just have to wait till it it equalized out again. Wow. And then, and so you kind of pulled back from the sport a little bit, but I would say over the last 
you know, 10 years, you've, you've really gotten back to it, not necessarily at the highest level of competition, but really got back to the spotlight. I mean, uh, you got inducted to the hall of fame. Um, you, you're, you have this, you know, this program, you're coaching a lot of different athletes. Talk about how coming back to the sport, how, how, how that's, how that's been for you and, and the excitement of, of kind of training and getting fit again and, and what that's meant. Well, you know, it's funny because my career didn't end the way I wanted it to, you know, because of the injury and because I just wasn't riding as well. I think it was a, I was mentally burned out. And, um, but by the time I came back into it, I think I had let go of a lot of, you know, those unfinished business kinds of things. So I came back into directing and I, you know, was no longer thinking, oh, I could beat these girls. I was thinking, you know, how do you make them better? How do you help them win races? And, and so you kind of change your mindset and get into a different spot and then realize that the things that you learned throughout your career can really help someone else. And, and so I think that's where it comes into coaching and mentoring is that like you've been there before, so you can speak to it and then help them get through some of these things. Because I think that the training is obviously difficult and the racing is difficult, but like you said, a lot of it's like, how do you deal with the problems that come up and, and the mindset to move through them and forward. And, and that's kind of where I feel like I've had enough crazy things happen to me in my career (laughs) that like I can help guide through those things to help them make good decisions. And that's, that's what I'm appreciating now. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I just, just listening to you talk. I mean, it's just, to me, you know, it's really about giving these, these young women confidence that they Mm -hmm. can do amazing things. Right. I mean, you, You've been when you've had all those ups and downs, when you've had a sprint for your dinner, um, those are the sorts of things that like I think ultimately make you um such a great director, such a great coach. Because you've I mean, when you've experienced everything, when people come to you with something, you understand how that made you feel. You understand the things, the ways you got through those challenging moments. And it's you, you gotta kind of almost go through those moments to really be able to to, to connect with somebody that's going through themselves. And, and I think that's why it's really hard to find somebody of your level that can, that can really help people out because you have to have that breadth of experience to be able to manage each and every issue as it comes up. And cause you've had those issues yourself. So here's my question for you, your younger self, right? Shows up 90, yeah. you're Henny top now. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Mari Holden comes up and says, I want to make the Olympic team. What should I do? What's the process? How can I make this happen? What are you going to tell yourself, um, you know, 20 years back or, or the, the new breed of, of female motivated endurance athletes? What things would you want to tell them right now to make sure that they have a great career? You know, I think that honestly, I would probably do what similar to what Henny did, like put the opportunity out there and then see which ones like grab it, right? Because some of them are going to let themselves get intimidated and not not do it. But I think that looking back on things, you can see a lot about a person and how they attack something, right? If they're like, I'm going for it (laughs) and I'm going to do it. And, you know, you got to have that kind of attitude in order to make it. And I think if a young girl came up and wanted to, to like be a bike racer, I would like, suggest a race for her to go to or a camp for her to go to um or and not belittle her like 
dreams or anything like that or put up barriers. I think that I would just put the opportunities out there and see if she really means it. <laughs> if she really means it, she's going to go for it, you know? And I think, I think it's about creating opportunity and see who takes it. And then if they take it, then who takes it to the next level? Cause like you and I both know, it's all about little steps getting there and making sure that you're like grabbing the opportunities along the way. And like, nothing is easy. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just thought about, you know, my, I have, I have three daughters, one son and, and I, and I thought about, you know, we're, I'm, we're very fortunate. You know, we, I was very fortunate when I was little, I had a dad that was really supportive of cycling. I had a, I had a velodrome in our town of Kenosha. Mm-hmm. So there was lots of opportunities to be a cyclist, but a lot of other towns didn't have those opportunities. I mean, being a cyclist in a town without a velodrome or not at least having some sort of relationship with the bike that uh, of, of cousins or dads or parents or cousins. I mean, that's hard to get in the sport of cycling. Now it's different. Now they have a lot of these towns have high school cycling teams. These colleges have cycling teams. It's a lot easier. I believe now to get to do, to get any kid that's interested in endurance sports on a bicycle with good coaching and with good opportunities. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I think that like the NICA leagues uh, with the high school mountain biking is a great start. I think that um, USA Cycling's program where they're giving free licenses to kids. So, you know, any junior can get a free USA Cycling membership, which would open opportunities for them to go to the track, like you were saying, or, or get to races or find out more opportunities. So I think that those are the steps we need to be taking and encouraging and, you know, and then getting them on online and on platforms like velocity and getting them out there training and seeing those numbers and seeing if they go for it. And if they love training and, you know, you have to love training to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so. For sure. Like you, you got to like to suffer a little bit, but you know, I, I'm seeing like a new breed of, of endurance athlete, you know, back in the day when I was, when I was young, young, it just, it wasn't as social it was a little bit more hard nosed. There was less positions. There was, you kind of were fighting for everything you had, you know, we just had Ashton Lambie in here and, and what a breath of fresh air he was mm-hmm. as it relates to kind of, he's charting his own path. You know what I mean? Back in the day, there was one path. You wanted to, you, know, you raced, you tried to get on a trade team and that was it. Now with gravel, now with mountain biking, with all these other opportunities, these mixed surface events and these big, huge, like Lifetime Fitness has done such a great job making all these great events available to people. The sport of cycling, in my opinion, is so much more accessible. It's so much more fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, literally just racing in general or competing with all these great cyclists, but also afterwards having a beer with them, like at yeah. Rebecca Rush's Idaho event. It's just fun now. Yeah, it is fun. And I, um, I do think that gravel is an interesting thing that's happening right now. I mean, I, I'm doing some gravel racing too, but I think that for women who are looking to try and go onto the road and, you know, uh, gravel is a great thing for them to be doing because we're racing with the men. And so the level is there. And like I said, you learn under stress. And so it's kind of like if you're fighting for every last thing and you're out there racing with the guys, that's a good thing. Like you're getting pushed to new limits or you're pushing your barriers. And so it's nice to have that kind of, um, it's nice to have that. And then to, but then you need to combine it with the road racing so that they get the skills they need on the road. But I think that 
getting the level and getting their fitness up by doing the gravel racing is, is a good thing. Not necessarily like the super long ones, but, but like if you were doing a hundred mile one or the 75 mile ones where, you know, you can really mix it up for that time and not just slog it out. Um, I think that, I think that's a really good thing. How are we going to get, um, because you know you and I are very I love gravel racing I love velodrome racing but I love 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 road racing mm-hmm. and you know with all these gravel events and with all these things going on I feel like road racing is not getting lost in the shuffle but we got to make sure that it's still something that 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 we have I mean you guys had some incredible uh women's road races I mean the tour of California has gone yeah. the tour of Colorado how do we make sure that road racing still exists and in in and and you know, I know you work with USA Cycling. I know you work with Pinarello. You have a lot of different things going on. How do we make sure road cycling doesn't disappear? I think about this all the time because I love road racing too. And I want to see a healthy road racing scene because I think that we need that in order to get more women into the world tour and guys too. I mean, obviously like the races had men and women, we need more road racing to get back to that. But I think that maybe it starts with the crit racing uh, in and getting more criteria. So more people can see it and we get, you know, we can diversify the sport a little bit. We can bring it into areas that don't necessarily always see it and close down less roads. So um, I think crits are a way to move into getting road racing back, but I do agree. It's a, it's a problem, you know, and I, I, I think about it all the time because I think that if we don't have those races, we're going to start losing the amount of people we have over in the world tour. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, the Midwest is a really nice job. We have these two incredible criterion race series We have the, the tour of America's Dairyland. Um, and then we have the Intelligentsia Cup. These are big. And I did bike giveaways at both of them these la- this last year. Nice. Very, very <laughs> nice. I mean, those are great events. And in the Midwest, I just I love that 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 we still love our criterium racing. I mean, that was that was a sport that that I really kind of gravitated to, partly because of my size, partly because of where I was and I had the exposure and the mm-hmm. track background. But I, I think that 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 Tom Schuler and, and the group around here does such a good job of putting on two incredible Criterium Racing events. We need to have more of those, obviously, yeah. across the country. Um, but outside of that, Mari, I just again I want to thank you for coming to Velocity. Um, you are an, an excellent instructor. I can't wait to have <laughs> you back here to teach teach more classes. Um, but really, that 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 re, that kind of nuance of of how to become a really good bike rider and how to use these intervals to make you better out on the road. Um, mm-hmm. I just really appreciate you bringing that to velocity because that's really what we're about as a business is, is not only to make people more powerful because that's important, obviously, but also to create that community, to bring people together, to be able to see the people you're riding with, but more mm-hmm. importantly, to teach them those skills that only someone with your experience, a silver medal in the Olympics, can really deliver. So thank you so much for that. Hopefully Thanks, you enjoyed Robbie. <laughs> and, um, I can't wait to see you again. Girl. Hold on. Bye. Thank you.